Hello, Podcast Village. Welcome to Colorblind Race Across Generations. Today is a very significant day. Why, you ask? Because it's our birthday and anniversary. Yay! Yay! I'm your host, Vanessa Eccles, along with technical producer Keith. Hello. And our guest producer, Ashley, who joins us from time to time. So, yes, April of 2019 will be one year since we started Colorblind Race Across Generations. So for our special anniversary edition today, we're going to look back at some of the topics that we have discussed over the past year. Topics where we got the most interest and comments and the most controversial, all those kind of things. So Ashley and Keith are joining me as we talk about these topics. So let's talk about the one from a couple weeks ago um, in February. Well, it was about Black History Month, but we did our <laughs> we did the segment in March. We did the segment in March. Now you're gonna make me say that next year, and I'm gonna be in trouble when I say, "Oh, Black History Month in March again." Like, no, yeah, that's no. yeah, that's yeah. kind of what we did. Stay away, Keith. Stay <laughs> okay, away. so the purpose of that, what we talked about, um, whether Black History Month is still relevant, and we delved a little into when you were in school, if you learned anything about Black History Month. And Keith, you had something interesting about what you learned about Black History Month. Oh yeah, well the whole the whole topic was brought up because I said, oh, well, I remember what I learned about Black History Month. Um, Martin Luther King, uh, he was nice. Uh, Rosa Parks got, you know, she got up, and it's uh, kind of about it. You know, the Cliff Notes version, and uh, everything's <laughs> fine. Peanuts. Everything's like, fine. Yeah, like two peanuts. two figures, yeah. two historical figures. Yeah. So the purpose of that podcast, we wanted to talk about um, what people are learning, how we can learn more. And then at the heart of it is, was, is Black History Month still relevant? And most of our guests said yes, but they did more than that. They explained why they thought yes. And then we went off the rails, and then they started talking about the Confederate flag, so on and so <laughs> forth. Um, so, Ashley, what did you think? Oh, I loved that episode, um, particularly, and I think I came and told Keith the next day after I listened to it, it's one of the first ones where I really felt like, not that anybody was disrespectful, but there was a little bit of back and forth that went on in that episode. There was, I can't think of his name, he kind of brought up um, an issue, and every time it was kind of knocked back down, he kind of bring it back up. And so I was like, oh, he's not afraid. Okay, they're going to get into it a little bit. And, yeah, it was, um, it was a lively discussion. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that one. I thought it was good. Um, I always learn something from every single episode, so I always like to hear kind of a little bit more of the history and hear about the idea that some people would have learned more than others, obviously based on generation, based on region, all of that. Because I can say I'm in the key boat of like, for Black History Month in school, it was just those top tier Black History Month figures and really nobody else until I got a little older and went to college and that, so. And I think what we came away with that is the whole idea about Black History is American history. So if you're going to have a well-rounded idea of American history and a truthful view of American history, then black history is a part of that. Other than Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr., there are a lot of other people who played a key role in, if we just talk about the civil rights movement specifically. I was just remembering, in high school, they made us watch Roots, so there's that. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I was forced to watch Rosewood multiple times, and, but... And, and I remember Roots because when September 11th happened, 
they interrupted Roots to say <laughs> September 11th. Now we we'll talk about September 11th. September wow. 11th was happening. Okay. So Roots is, will never be <laughs> associated with 9-11. So that was the historical perspective then. Yes. Um, and then I thought it was interesting, someone brought up the point of, um, you know, when we teach about figures like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, how do we incorporate the fact that they were slave owners mm-hmm. in that? You know, do we gloss over that or, you know, does that tarnish their image? Oh, and I simply right. said you need to have the full, that's part of who they were. I think that was the point that the one guy kept bringing up, right, is like, but how do you separate, you know, like the history and all of that from, you know, the the statues and all this and that and not try to erase the history and erase what they did that was good, I guess. Yeah, it was the whole point of, you know, you can't ignore that because, yeah, that's what he did, you know. Mm-hmm. He owned other people, and that's, you know, that that's a part of it. That is a part of the history. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the good point was made with that, though, right, where it was like, oh, well, a lot of the statues and things that people have been arguing to take down were not of these leaders that people today think of as being beneficial to history. They were people who were put up as signs of, we're going to keep you where we want to keep you because these are people who were actually on the Confederate side and, you know, actually were pro-slavery and all of that. So it's not like we're talking about people protesting and wanting statues of Thomas Jefferson taken down. It's the general of the Confederate Army. So Yeah, that's when the conversation kind of went. And I was like, whoa, can we, can we get back to Black History Month? <laughs> I think I said you. that like two or three times. Like, okay, getting back to Black History Month. It was so good, though, Vanessa. It was so good. Excellent. Okay, so. Um, From my perspective. Thank you. Another one that got a lot. First time, first time caller. Long exactly. Time. <laughs> really. Exactly. First time Not caller, as... long time listener. Um, another topic that got a lot of, like, everywhere I wa- went, people were talking about um, the former skinhead. And Keith, of course, brought up that I said, I will never have clan members or skinheads on the podcast. And, and so, but then I ran across ones. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I ran across her. Yeah. So that is uh, Angela King with the group Life After Hate. Just, she just, so the reason I went back on what I said is because she has such a remarkable story. I'm talking about how she went to federal prison for a hate crime and how her life was dramatically uh, transformed while she was in prison and then her life after prison and life after hate you know they're intertwined there because now her whole mission in life is teaching people not to hate so there's the explanation on why I went back on my word of never having skinheads on the podcast and I think one of the things that she kind of reminded us of was how easy it is to read that those views now mm-hmm. with the internet right and she kind of brought that up and was very and it kind of makes you go back and kind of when you look at the comment section on news stories or stuff like that you can kind of see it and see it spread and it's kind of a it's kind of a warning kind of a danger sign of how someone like her could if someone like her could get entrapped into that kind of a mm-hmm. lifestyle and those kind of views like it's it's very important that people like that tell us how it happened if yeah. That's a, yeah because with her she just had like a average regular childhood and you know not anything dramatically traumatizing or anything and it was like oh i'm just gonna rebel against my parents and it's like oh whoa whoa, whoa. yeah mm-hmm. well didn't she also say something like she kind of joined because she has such a sense of belonging with that group it wasn't about the ideals at first it was about i'm mm-hmm. looking for 
like somebody a group that I can actually be a part of mm-hmm. so I think that was interesting too because I always assumed anybody who joined that type of organization obviously you're racist and that's your motivation yeah so that was mom that was just interesting and then people will point out the fact that at some point in interviewing her I said are you concerned that people might think that you're not really a mm-hmm. former skinhead you know mm-hmm. are you really genuine yeah which I just thought was a natural a natural question to ask <laughs> because that's what I was curious about too like are you sure you're a former skinhead yeah. and I think she you know she was very open and honest like yeah some people m- might not believe me but I am who I am and hopefully I live a life where people can see that I am genuine so let's move on from two really kind of heavy topics to I am not my hair <laughs> and, and Ashley that was your whole idea when we were having a discussion about podcast uh, ideas and since that episode there have been several cases um, that I've read about nationally mm-hmm. about hair discrimination which people think oh that's a silly subject but it's a big deal yeah I mean again I think the the reason why we kind of talked about it initially was because I was just bringing up the fact that I I changed my hair so much and I feel like there's a different reaction I can sense and I get from people whether that's dating-wise, work-wise, just society-wise, based on the way your hair looks. And I think my message at that moment was just, you know, I am not just my hairstyle. That does not define who I am. And I think one of the ladies pointed out a good a good message, too, which was, you know, as black women, though, we do take pride and we celebrate the beauty of our hair and our texture and all that, especially right now as black women, a lot more black women transition to more natural styles. But I definitely think that... um that as a society is still a problem because especially in the workplace there's certain styles that wouldn't be considered appropriate if a or black professional woman, yeah, yeah especially um you know you could even go down to like hair color I've been a witness to oh a black woman comes in to work and she has a different hair color that may be considered a little more outrageous a red a pink and it's looked at negatively whereas a Caucasian woman can come in and she's artistic it's looked at as creative you know, so just just those type of subtle, supposedly subtle differences, mm-hmm. um, I mean, are definitely felt and, and absorbed. So, Keith, why are you chuckling over there? Because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that, that really is the um, kind of the heart of if it, how you're perceived, and especially in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, certain styles, you know, if I came into work with a big puffy afro, they'd be looking at me like, what is she? She's mad. Right. You know? Right. Which Keith is still is laughing. Because that's like my dream, just no, to no. shock everyone and come <laughs> in like that. <laughs> that's your, that, That's on your meeting, too. This is my two weeks notice. Get you, we're going to get you a fro wig now, and we're going to have to do that That would one be day. fabulous. Just a sociological experiment That's for the it. podcast. That's it. Because, you know, we have, I've you know, you hear all these um, stories nationally about women who were um, discriminated against because of the hair mm-hmm. and people not understanding the hair and what does it mean and whether it's professional, you know, whether it meets regulations for places that have you know hair rules military you know all of those things so that that turned out to be a very interesting discussion especially when one woman mentioned um about her son getting dreadlocks yeah and she said it really frightened her you know for her son as a young black man to have dreadlocks and how he would be perceived and whether there are certain people in society who would perceive him as threatening because of his dreads side conversation with someone in the building about that as well he's a father and he mentioned the same thing he said just in today's society he wouldn't feel comfortable with his son having dreads because he feels like it would be more of a target for police law enforcement and 
um, all of that. So I, that's something that I personally had never considered because I don't have, like, uh, obviously children. Not obviously. I do not have children podcast village. Um, but <laughs> obviously, I don't have right? Because I'm looking at you, <laughs> too. No, I do not have children. But also just in general, I think, because I've never had dreads and thought about the impact that that would have. But, again, any hairstyle change mm-hmm. seems to be a factor. Okay, let's talk about so many juicy topics we'd have as I looked back on the year. Um, Here was one that was kind of interesting, and when I told people the topic, they were like, what are you doing that? What's so funny about race? And we talked about can you use race in your stand-up act if you are a comedian? Mm. And so when I told people, we're talking about race and comedy, they looked at me like, there is nothing funny about race. And I was like, well, no, that's what we're going to ask, you know. Are we so super sensitive as a, as a society that we can't laugh about race? Is there anything as a joke about race, or is that an oxymoron? I mean, I, I that that's an that's an issue near and dear to my heart because I if you can't like if you can't laugh about stuff, then what are we what are we doing, man? Why mm-hmm. why do we wake up? What are we doing? So, but um, and I I think I think the point was made that. You better be good. <laughs> you better be good at what you do. You better know your audience. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you better have some context yeah, too. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a very good way to, especially this, like, I think what makes this podcast work, uh, humble brag, is that it's. <laughs> oh, I like that humble it's, brag. It's a very, it's a very loose environment and a very comedic environment. And, you know, especially for something like race, it's, that's how you get the door open to get it started, so. Anyway, and I think also I was very I was very proud of that one. And then you have to know like the fine line, mm-hmm. and it's like you said that you got to know what's funny and what's you know there's a, there's a fine line between funny and insulting, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't know how to don't know where the line is. Right. So yeah, so the comedians we had on that were you know they were all very interesting in terms of they're like okay I know how this fits into my act but I know my audience yeah. and I know how far I can go. And those who go too far get in trouble. I was going to say one interesting thing, too, probably for comedians today versus comedians back in the day. Don't you guys think that back in the day, obviously, depending on what city you were in, you could get away with certain more risque jokes. But today your audience is the world because somebody will take that clip and post it. Mm -hmm. So you have to be much more careful. And by no means am I a stand-up comedian, but I I could imagine that. By no means, kid? Oh, my God. That's (laughs) how we thought that was your side hustle. I thought that's exactly what your side hustle. (laughs) No, but I think – I think, like, I know when I go to a lot of the bigger comedians, because they, uh, they, they treat it as a craft, and they always, they go out there and they do it, they do it first and, and fail miserably. Like, that's their whole thing, is to go out to clubs and fail miserably. And now if you fail miserably and you say something horribly wrong, yeah. it's, on, it's on YouTube in 10 seconds. Exactly. So. Yeah, so it's, there's no more of that no one will ever know. Right. Um, we did one on Segregated Sunday. Ta-da! And whether... Um, Today's churches are still segregated. And we reached the conclusion, yeah, yeah. there are. You know, it's like, hello, I can answer that question. But how do we, I think I used the term during the podcast, unsegregate them. And the pastors kind of looked at me like, is that a word? I'm like, yes, it is. I just made it up. But I thought those two pastors we had were very um, open and honest because they're both in churches where, where they were trying to again, unsegregate their congregations, but they were very honest about how we got to this point and why we're still there and basically 
you know, what it means. And I think the issue there is you can go to work or school during the week and you're surrounded by people who don't look like you. And then for Sunday you're like, yeah, I just want to be with my people. You know, that's how some people feel. Yeah. I mean, there was also, wasn't there the gentleman on the episode who kind of talked about um, his uh, research he was doing Mm -hmm. and about the history of uh, the CME church, Mm -hmm. the CME church. Um, and the, the um, historical uh, re- uh, racial tensions, I guess, because that there's some people in the black community that don't necessarily recognize it as much because it started from being a part of a white institution. Yeah, yeah. His, his whole research project is the fact of why there are segregated churches. And with the CME, with the history there, it was part of a Methodist church. But then it's like if they don't want us there or if they make us sit in the balcony or sit in the back, we'll have our own congregation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why there's a, you know, that's how it all began. You know, if you're disrespected in the church where you would think you would be loved and embraced because that's what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to, you know, not do that even in the church, then we'll just go here and form our own kind of church. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, just because I've never necessarily studied the uh, full history of like a lot of religious um, organizations and things like that. So I think that's probably something that would be beneficial for a lot of people to really understand um, how all of this came to be mm-hmm. and also possibly pathways to the future of how to possibly desegregate churches if that ever happens. See, that's right. It should be de- desegregate churches. I think I kept saying, can we unsegregate our, con- <laughs> our congregation? Yeah, I felt, I just felt good about that one because I thought it gave people a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, white like her. Again, I was fascinated by this guest because, you know, she lived her life up until she was in her 40s thinking that her mother was white, like her, until she started messing around with that genealogy stuff mm-hmm. and then found out her mom, in fact, was half black, half white. So with that, people would say to me when they see me, how in the world does she not know? But she did a great job in the podcast of explaining all those things that she thought her mom did were weird when she was growing up, but then she found out, like, oh, that's why the lady never gets in the sun. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't know any of her other relatives. She was passing successfully for a while, and then the stunning part was when she confronted her mother. Her mother said, we must never speak of this again, and promise me you will never tell anyone. While I'm alive, right? Yeah, while she was alive. Because it would be embarrassing. Yes, yeah, that was a great podcast. I I remember um, kind of hearing that story, but to hear her kind of explain it now, especially with probably a little more time and distance from it, mm-hmm. because I mean, especially to even have the the desire probably to kind of go against your mom's wishes, research, do these things, and for her to be kind of stonewall you while she was alive to never want to talk about it. I I think the one question I would have had for her is what made you decide that you wanted to move forward after she died and kind of open up about it? That would have been something I would have liked to know. But um, it's a fascinating story, obviously. I think I spoke about in one of the first podcasts that I feel like I had family members in my family back in the day who mm-hmm. seemed like they may have done something similar. No proof or confirmation of that, just based on like old pictures and things like that. But obviously with society being the way it was back then, I try not to judge her mother's decision more so just have understanding for why that may have been the case. And there were, you know, like a lot of people who did that. And I think the thing that I wanted from to hear from her, which, which she did answer, because I think I asked her at some point, um, like, did your father know? And I think she 
said that you know the father didn't know and that he had passed away by the time that she found this out. But just to think of you know what that would have been like. And she said that you know her father was not like the most open person in terms of race and and accepting of people. And then the other thing was what it must have been like for her mom. Yeah. You know, did every day she wake up thinking somebody might find out today that, you know, I'm not fully white. I wonder if she was really more so afraid, too, of the the absolute consequence of what that would mean mm-hmm. once she had gone so long with the lie. Yes. Like, is my husband going to leave me? Right. Is society going to shun me that I've, like, built for myself? And that apparently was some of her mom's concerns, mm-hmm. which that's a, you know, whether you agree or disagree, that's still a heavy burden to bear in terms of, you know, living this life and hoping no one ever finds out who you really are. Yeah. So I think that's a perfect segue into From White Like Me to an episode on blackface. <laughs> so we do one end of the spectrum to the other. So let me tell you, that was so interesting because we recorded that one around the time when we had so many of the incidents coming out. When blackface was the rough. Yeah, when, when blackface was the end thing. <laughs> um, and the most interesting thing for me is when one of the guests said that her daughter wanted to be Beyonce for, was it Halloween, I think it was? And she was like, so is it okay for her to have the Beyonce wig and the outfit and to have darker makeup? to be Beyonce, and her daughter is white. And as soon as she said that, the other guests were like, oh, no, that is not okay. You know, and she's like, she doesn't mean any disrespect because, in fact, she's honoring Beyonce because she loves Beyonce. And the guests were like, "Mm mm-mm, no, there was no gray area there with that blackface. Like, uh uh-uh, she should not do that. Yeah, and I know when when all those news stories were coming out, there was – I know people that would come to me and be like, I don't know what the big deal is. I'm like, oh, God, please. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 please, the please, issue, please not understanding. Please, why are you telling me this? What, did I, what, what am I projecting into the world? <laughs> I don't need this. You may be their one white friend yeah, that they no. feel. And they felt like it wasn't a big deal because. They're just like, oh. Just because it's no big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. Yeah, well, yeah. So those are the people who need to listen to the podcast because those guests did a good job of explaining the history of blackface and why it's offensive and why it's hurtful then and now and in the future. Mm-hmm. Just so you'll know, mm-hmm. blackface is not okay. That's the bottom line. Megan Kelly. We talked about that. Too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we certainly did. Um, so then we got into an issue of colorism, which was very interesting, which I think for some people was a new concept of hearing, um, which is kind of, I guess is racist within the racist kind of thing, for lack of a, a better way to put it, you know, judging people within your own race based on color. And people get really, like, prickly when you start talking about that. It's like, <laughs> ooh, let's, don't tell the family secrets. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, there, <laughs> I have a, I'm part of an interracial uh, marriage, and that is a topic that comes up in the Hispanic community a lot, and I will leave it at that. (laughs) Which I honestly did not know until I moved to Orlando because I was not used to as much Hispanic diversity, really any, from Ohio to coming here. So obviously there's a huge Puerto Rican population here, but still just conversations I've had about or with other Hispanic people, I knew obviously it was an issue within the black community, but just to hear, I guess, my own not ignorance, but kind of ignorance that I did not really think about how it would be impacting other races. And one of the two things, one of the guests, 
Well, one thing is what you mentioned, Ashley. I was like, oh, okay, so it's not just in the black community. Mm -hmm. Um, And then number two, one of the guests said that when she got married, one of her relatives said to her, because she was married to someone who was white and she's Hispanic, said, um, oh, you're uplifting the race now or something like that because she was. And I'm like, what? And there's a they said it's like a term for it, Mm -hmm. which to me was shocking. I was like, oh, so this is deeply ingrained, like. As black people, we don't necessarily have terms for that sort of thing. Well, I guess for us, though, it's also different because it's not necessarily looked upon favorably as a culture the way that it, I guess it may be with Hispanic culture. So to step in, mm-hmm. to marry someone of Caucasian um, descent. but Yeah, that, that, was, that was just a biggie. So that one kind of left me like, I don't know, I was kind of like sad after we <laughs> got done with that. I was like, wow, okay, can we get past that? Um, cold cases. So this is a man who is dedic- journalist who has dedicated his life to just kind of going back and reporting on some of these um, racial cold cases from like the 50s and 60s. And I think it kind of brings up the whole issue of people who are like, you know, that's just in the past. Just leave it there. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. I remember that episode, um, particularly how it seemed, seemed the journalist was either naive or just very bold at his age to be going into some of the environments that he was going in, given that there was going to be a hostility towards what he was trying to uncover and what he was trying to do. But absolutely not. I mean, obviously anybody who has been um, unjustly harmed in some type of way in society deserves to have that person convicted of that crime or whatever, no matter how long the the time has gone that that's been. I mean, Emmett Teal, any, any old case... Um, obviously still deserves to, the person still deserves to be brought to justice if available, so. And we have a big controversy here in Florida now with the Groveland Four Mm -hmm. um, in that that case. So it's kind of one of those is justice delayed, justice denied kind of thing. So I think it, I don't know if that's your your personal thing, you know. Like if you still have lineage, you still have kids, grandkids, to Mm -hmm. have your name cleared or something that you never did would be a big deal, is a big deal. Okay, so let's, uh, we have, a, I have two more here on my list. Coming to America was so interesting to hear from people who were born in other countries who came to the U.S. talking about how their perception of race changed. And I thought the most interesting guest was our friend Amy from South Africa, who really felt like she saw more racism here in the United States than in South Africa. And she was a post-apartheid ba- or as they say, apartheid baby. But still, just, I found that fascinating. Yes, she's she's white as lily snow <laughs> in America. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I wonder if it has to do, again, even though she's from Africa, she could have been in a community but that she was, was much more open or yeah. more, you know, kumbaya, as she, she would say. Yeah, she talked about that, but she grew up in a very, in South Africa, grew up in a very diverse community, mm-hmm. but really thought that she experienced more racial divide when she got to the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny how Keith described it, because she says, you know, I am African-American, and so she and I took a picture, <laughs> and I was like, two African-Americans. <laughs> it's like, yep. She's like, I am African-American, because I am from Africa, so there, to you. I've never heard her say that. Yeah, that's so, that's, so that's really cool. And then the last one we want to mention, um, the one on tra- transracial adoption. So people who adopted babies of, of other colors and cultures and things like that. And what I thought was profound was the guest who mentioned that she is Korean, but when her parents, um, who are white, adopted her, 
And then on, as they mark the day of her adoption, they would take her out to a Chinese restaurant. And I'm like, but you're not Chinese, Chinese, you're Korean. And she's like, yeah, therein is the problem. And then a guest who, and I think at some point she just said that she thought her parents were not, I think she even said they were racist. Mm. And which I was like, uh, but they adopted you and you're not their, you know, you're not their same color. But I, yeah, there I, were a whole lot of issues in I, that one. I remember that one because we had um, flipped examples of the transracial adoption scenario right. in the same room mm-hmm. so we had people that were adopted and people that are adopted are adopting yes and they were and the, the people that were adopted were saying these things and then we had someone directly there that was right there saying that's not what she meant i promise you and it was interesting to see them literally right there in the same room yeah and very strong opinions and they were like you know she's right there yeah i think what was significant is the woman who adopted the children of the other race for her to be able to hear how people who, how those kids? How those kids? How those kids grew up? up. Yeah. yeah, and what and what they grew up feeling. And since I know her, I know that she really had some defining moments there. Of okay, my children need to see. I think we called it cultural mirrors. They need to see people who, who look like them, and they need to hear what it was like to grow up in a family with people who do look look like you and are in the same culture. So yeah, I mean. I think we all came into there with like, oh, one big happy family. Oops. But then we left with like, you know, there's some real issues that have to be, you have to honestly and openly deal with them. Yeah. And so speaking of honestly and openly, you know, that's what we've tried to do over the last year with this, with this podcast. Um, it is a place for people to ask questions and not be afraid that they're going to be yelled at for asking a question, but just to get educated on what it's, you know, not everybody looks like you, not everyone grew up in the culture with you, and you have questions, you have comments, and this is a safe place for you to learn and ask those questions. So that's what we've tried to do for this past year. So thank you all for listening. Don't forget to connect with us um, on our website. Keep giving us feedback. We'll listen. Yes, we will. So you can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and the Gram and <laughs> the Gram. And And then we have, uh, you can listen to the podcast. Everywhere. Obviously, you know how to listen to it because you're listening to it now. But we have a website and we're in iTunes and Stitcher. And I think that's it. But you can find us. We're easy to find. So, again, happy anniversary to us. Happy anniversary. Happy first birthday. I want cake. I want cake. No. No, we don't have cake. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see you next time for Colorblind Race Across Generations.